Lucy. And I'm Linnea. And you're listening to First Impressionists, where we talk about all things art. beautiful day it is it's, it's so warm so warm mm-hmm. i um went hammocking oh yeah that sounds so great it was amazing except for the fact that the snow on the trees is melting and it was right onto my head oh yeah no. <laughs> but otherwise it was sublime one oh. could say. Oh. <laughs> Is that a sneak peek into this week's topic? Well, uh, segue. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week it's just me and Linnea again, the original two. Yeah. Um, but we will be talking about the sublime in art this week, uh, which is super exciting. Um, I feel like up until now, except maybe sculpture last week. We haven't really delved into one specific topic um, and kind of stayed there. We've been like talking through questions and then finding some examples of art that were related to that question. So I'm excited to mm-hmm. just focus on the sublime this week. Yeah, me too. Um, we def- we t- talked about it actually in our first episode mm-hmm. um, and you brought it up. I, I'm sure I'd heard it before, but... You bringing it up was the first time I'd ever heard it talked about really in art. Um, it's kind of surprising because I took a lot of philosophy in college. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I don't know why it never came uh, up. Yeah, I don't even... Okay, I've read a lot of literature that I think would be in the genre of the sublime, but we didn't really talk about it a whole lot, to be honest. Um what I know is a few tidbits from conversation here and there, and then my own research. Um, so I don't. I feel like it's it's kind of an underrated topic. Definitely. And definitely. Even looking at some of the artists and the paintings for this week, I realized, oh wow, <laughs> I really love this genre and yeah. these paintings, and I didn't realize that this was a whole. I don't know, category that yeah. I loved. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. excited to talk about it. Me too. I think you're absolutely right that it's underrated because since doing just a little bit of research um, today, I'm like, wow, how have I gone this long without like having this vocabulary word to describe something that is such a big part of my life and part of art and I'm like, wow. I cannot believe that I've been living this whole time without the yeah. sublime. Yeah. So I'm super excited about this episode too. Yeah. And I, oh man, I think I love the sublime because I think it's one of the the few great, like overwhelming, passionate, like incredible experiences that we can have as a human that is not directly tied to other human beings 
and that's so interesting. It's okay. I mean, it's tied to humanity, but I wouldn't say it's tied to other humans. So anyway, that's my little snippet before we get into maybe trying to figure out what it is. Yeah, we should definitely talk about what Sublime is. Yes. Okay. What is it? So what is the Sublime? Um, From my research, it seems like there's not an exact definition, just like anything other, like anything else in art. Um, But one quote from Edmund Burke who researched the sublime extensively and I believe coined the term or okay. was one of the first. He was maybe the first to coin the term in like the more modern era. So he was writing okay. in the 18th century. So mm-hmm. he maybe rediscovered the term a little bit and solidified a definition. Okay. We'll come back to when it first came okay. out. In okay. Sounds history. Good. Okay. Sounds um, good. But he said... Whatever is in any sort terrible or is conversant about terrible objects or operates in a manner analogous to terror is a source of the sublime. And this definition was very surprising to me. so interesting. Because I look at the sublime and I don't know if I (laughs) feel terror. There are certainly some paintings I looked at and I felt the element of terror. But to me... Um, what I've experienced is more just this um, unknown quantity and uh, this mm. magnificence. And uh, so anyway, that was interesting. But other qualities of the sublime are greatness, magnitude or intensity, um, darkness, obscurity, vastness, magnificence, Loudness and suddenness. Hmm. Interesting. The loudness and the suddenness are also surprising, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I think this genre um, is definitely more expansive than I realized, mm-hmm. so maybe that's where some of those elements come in that, of course, are not present in every piece, mm-hmm. um, but are potential qualities. Um, And then one more description that I thought was helpful um, is from, I believe, the Tate Museum's article on the sublime. Um, During the 18th and 19th centuries, the sublime was associated in particular with the immensity or turbulence of nature and human responses to it. Um, So in the Romantic period, It was often represented with towering mountain ranges, deep chasms, violent storms and seas, volcanic eruptions or avalanches, um, and other life-threatening natural experiences. Mm. Um, All right, Linnea, do you want to take us back in time and see where the sublime began? Yeah, this was so interesting to me. The sublime was originally like the first I think instance that we see of it which obviously it would be it was in a a Greek um, treatise on writing like oh. like um, like writing about writing which is so interesting yeah. that they had that that long ago yeah in the first <laughs> century AD oh wow okay. yeah yeah so it would have been a different word, obviously, because it's written right. in ancient Greek, and I don't know Greek, I don't know what the word was. Yeah. Um, 
It's called Longinus. Not the word, the treatise. Okay. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry if I'm not. But basically, I think the treatise was saying, um, like, the goal of good writing is to reach the sublime, to, like, capture the sublime. And it also talked a lot about, um, I think, the kind of example it used for the sublime was um, the Genesis story. Okay. And especially the creation story. Yes. Um, so I guess Genesis 1, where God's basically speaking the world into existence from chaos and disorder into order, which right. I thought was super interesting. Yes. And I have seen a lot of biblical references when I've mm, been looking up paintings, yeah. um, typically about either Genesis or Revelation. So the beginning wow. and the end. Um, and just sort of the magnitude of those moments, which is very interesting. Um, And I think creation is a big part of the sublime, even, you know, looking out at nature and seeing the vastness and just how it's beyond even imagining or looking up Mm. at the stars and feeling completely insignificant. To me, that's what the sublime is. And so, yeah, I think that Genesis connection is really cool. Yeah, that's so mm-hmm. interesting. Um, you were talking earlier about what's his name, Edward Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke. Um, and his definition of sublime, which he uses the word terror a lot, terrible <laughs> terror. So weird. Like that's not what. That's not the first word that would come to my mind. See, for me, I think. He is using the word terror as the unknown. Mm, like yeah. that's different than the like, feeling that yeah. I get. And for some people that might be terror. I mean, when you think about being in the woods all by yourself, that could be terror or it could just be this sense of the unknown. Like you're mm. unfamiliar with this place, you don't know what it contains, you are lost and you don't know where to go. Mm. And so to me that element of terror it can be fear, but it could also just be un- unknowingness. Yes, yes. And I think what he and other people who have written about the sublime really emphasize as like a key ingredient of sublime. Um, because he listed a lot of different words and he talked about how like some of them are present mm-hmm. in different works that capture the sublime, some aren't. Right. But a key thing is um, just something that when you experience it, you're humbled by. Yes. And you're humbled in the presence of something greater right. or more magnificent than you. Right. Um, another kind of interesting like definition, Immanuel Kant also mm. wrote a lot about the sublime. Um, and he kind of, um, I think the way he would describe it is like beauty, like the sublime is beautiful, but it's additionally frightening. Mm-hmm. Or there's that element of, yeah, like terror, but it's like unknown kind of terror. Right. Less like. Like someone is breaking into your house and stabbing you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a different kind of terror. Like, it's still terror. And I think humans subconsciously just have this fear of things that they don't understand. And I think that's what they're trying to get at with the sublime. Yeah. Or things that they can't control. Mm. Like an avalanche or 
a bunch of rocks falling on top of you mm-hmm. when you're on a hike. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the immensity of nature. Yeah. And how we could never measure up to that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, one thing I was listening to about Sublime was talking about how, like, generally, as human beings, we don't like the feeling of being humbled. We don't mm-hmm. like the feeling of feeling smaller. Yeah. But there's something about the Sublime that taps into, like, an, there is a part of us that actually does want to be put in that position of, mm-hmm. like, the reality, I guess, of our condition is that we are kind of humble yeah. people. Yeah. Um. And so even though generally that feeling is uncomfortable, the sublime somehow taps into this is actually a positive thing. Yes. Okay. And this this is getting at what I love so much about the sublime mm. in the art world and also personally. I mean, I think there are many ways that you can experience the sublime for yourself outside the art world. For me, it's always been in nature, which I think is typically how it's portrayed in art as well, at least in the Mm -hmm. 18th and 19th century. Um, And I think that's for a reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know. For me, like when you look up at the night sky and you see all of the stars and the mountains stretching out before you and you feel so small and humble and insignificant, there's just this wordless moment that Mm. it just... It's almost comforting that your life is so small compared to this vast universe that we live in and this vast earth with so many people, so many stories, and so many complicated lives. Yeah. And it's just sort of this reminder that all of these things that feel so big to me in my life and so overwhelming are really so small in the history of everything Mm. that it somehow feels more manageable and it's comforting knowing that I am small and my problems are small yeah yeah which is strange because that's not normally how you walk through life I mean for all of us we're the star of our own lives Mm. 99% of the time Mm -hmm. and so I think it's so important and so powerful to have those moments of the sublime yeah and to recognize okay my life is very small and that means okay it's not that big of a deal my life is not affecting all of this so greatly that there's any significant change that i can see i don't Mm, know interesting yeah yeah interesting yeah Hmm. i was gonna ask you like before we kind of dive into more of like wh- how it, where we see it in the art world, um, like when you think of the sublime, like for me when I was reading about this, I, I like thought of very specific like moments in time mm-hmm. where I'm like, wow, this is exactly how that felt. Yes. Can you think of like times in your life outside of art where you've been like, this was sublime? Yes. Um... I think the most recent one I can think of um, is going to Kastner Glacier with some friends. Um, and it's so beautiful out mm. there. Uh, first, really you walk is. across like this giant snow field to get to it. Um, and this frozen river. And it's like so sublime just seeing the vastness of the snow and mm. how bright it is. And 
Um, then you get to the glacier and you go inside and it's just this incredibly like blue ice cave um, and the ceiling is made of ice crystals and there's all these beautiful like curves and ridges in the ceiling and um, if you just like let the people go out of focus so there are just little tiny dots in the distance and seeing how vast it is compared to, to the people um, is so incredible yeah. and seeing the northern lights every time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think is a sublime moment yes, for me so definitely. I feel very lucky to live in Alaska because yeah. I think we have wonderful opportunities to experience this. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, what about you? Um, yes, definitely one of the first things I thought of was the Northern Lights. This mm -hmm. is a perfect word to describe that. Yes. Um, I also was thinking of, um, I grew up a lot of, spending a lot of time in the summers in Prince William Sound. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember, like, one day I was, we were, like, going on a long a longer passage and it was like totally cloudy mm -hmm. um, and kind of raining a little bit and I was just sitting up on the like bridge of the, the flying bridge of the boat mm -hmm. by myself and the water is gray and the sky is gray and there's just like the horizon and we were like far enough away that you, you couldn't see me land it was just like the ocean yeah so that to me was like oh that was such a sublime like because it's kind of like there's a frightening thing about Oh, yeah. Just being on a gray ocean. Um, but then also, another thing I was thinking of that like doesn't have to do with nature so much is um, being in like really big, beautiful churches. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I talked That's about on the show. Um, I like that architecture can be so oh, fun, yeah, too. Definitely. I think I experienced that less, and maybe it's just because of where I live. There's not great cathedrals. Right, but, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think I talked about on the show being in St. Peter's I think Basilica. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a definitely sublime. Yeah. I cried. Yeah. Experience. Wow. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, those mm -hmm. like definitely anytime I go to like a lar or like a big church, mm -hmm. uh, I kind of get that a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, also from writing. Yeah. Um, I see it in visual art, but also when an art, like when a writer is able to capture the sublime and sort of pull you into that moment that they have, um, that's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I think it takes a lot of skill yes. to do that very well. Yes. But if you read pretty much any of the romantics, mm -hmm. um, you'll probably find some elements of the sublime there. Mm, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, well. Let's jump into some art. Yeah. Let's look at some, some paintings. Um, where do we want to begin, Linnea? Let's start uh, with, back with good old Casper David Frederick. All right. Our old We've, friend. Yeah, our old... My, yeah, definitely. Love this man. <laughs> uh, um, we talked about him in episode one as well. Um, yes. He painted the monk, monk by the Sea. Um, this is when they first started talking about the sublime. Yeah, we so, hardly knew it, but... 
Um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Wanderer Above Sea Fog um, to start, just because I think this is probably one of the most, if not the most famous examples of the sublime. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of interesting to me. And there's actually another painting of his besides Monk by the Sea that is often um, said to be the sublime. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's like a woman and she's in front of a red oh, sunrise. Oh, oh, I'll look it up. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting to me about Wanderer Above Sea Fog and the one that Linnea is looking up, um, is the scale. Because in Monk by the Sea, as we talked about before, the the turbulent, foggy sea storm in the background is almost all of the painting. And then there's one tiny little man. Um, yeah. Just showing like the immensity of this nature and... That's not quite the same feeling as Wanderer Above Sea Fog, even though I think they are both absolutely the sublime. Mm. Um, But in this painting, there is sort of a rocky outpost in the foreground, as well as a man sort of posed triumphantly atop it, and then he's looking down at some more rocks and hills that are obscured by fog and so you can't really tell how far down things go if this is a vast canyon or if it's not that far down Hmm. Um, and it's definitely this unknown quality Um, and it's interesting because I feel like I'm like I don't know I am amazed by the nature that this man is seeing um but also there's a lot of parts of it that really don't look that big compared to him hmm. so yeah, yeah. it's kind of interesting and the, yeah yeah the, like this one definitely like the person is much more a part of your focus than yeah in monk by the sea yeah and i think there is still that feeling of being humbled, um, but maybe in a different way than Monk by the Sea. And uh, even just his pose, he seems a little bit more like, I don't know. Self-assured or... Yeah, rather than being just completely astounded or overwhelmed. Yeah. It's definitely more of just... A gentle contemplation yeah. on the unknown. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like, for me, it's interesting because this painting, I think, of his is much more well-known. And mm-hmm. for me, A Monk by the Sea is just way more impactful. Um, I agree. I, I think I prefer Monk by the Sea. Um... But, yeah, anyway, continue. Yeah. And then the other one that we were talking about of his is, um, I think it's just called Woman Before the Rising Sun. Okay. Um, and the same thing, it's it's um, like kind of a 
I guess it's the rising sun. I was about to say sunrise or sunset. It's sunrise. And um, a woman is standing in the foreground, similarly, like, in the middle of the piece with her arms kind of out. And um, you see kind of rolling hill, yeah, pastory landscape. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe, like, the... He always kind of does this thing where he paints the back of people and they're like looking out at the landscape just like mm-hmm. we are. And I think it kind of helps us, helps to put us in the place of like someone contemplating right. nature. Right. Um, hmm. So, yeah. I feel like in Monk by the Sea, he knows his place in nature. Like, it feels very small. He's very humbled. He understands that this nature is much more powerful than he is. Yeah. I don't think he knows that in this painting. I think he's just contemplating his place in it. Hmm. And maybe that's the difference for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But it's interesting that this one is, is much more famous. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe this is the person that want, that people want to be more than the monk. Yeah, it's a little more comfortable. Yeah. That is true. That is true. Interesting. Huh. Um, let's see. Shall we move on to a new painting? Yes. Okay. Um, where shall we go next? Let's look at An Avalanche in the Alps by Philip James de Lutherburg, who I think I have heard his name before, but I am not very familiar with him. So um, if I make any incorrect assumptions about his painting, I apologize. Um, The little that I do know So what I do know about this painter um, is he also worked as a theater set designer. Hmm. Um, And I think that plays a very large part in the contrast in his paintings. Um, If we look at this painting, um, I definitely see a lot more of the terror element. Oh yeah, the suddenness, (laughs) Um, the loudness that it talked about. Yes. Not present at all in Wanderer Above the Clouds, which no. is a very still painting. This one, there's a lot of action. Yes, there absolutely is. Um, so there is high contrast between the lights and the darks. We see this big um, rocky cliff on the left side, and then a large bright white flash of light just to the right of it, and a mm. bunch of storm clouds. Um, and sort of ominous looking natural shapes. Um, And then at the bottom left, there are just a few very terrified looking (laughs) people and they're very small. It looks like maybe they're about to be crushed by some rocks or something. Um, They're definitely running away from something quickly and looking up aghast and um, just stricken by fear. Um, so, yeah, very different from Frederick. Nope, I just said that wrong, but it's fine. Friedrich? Friedrich. Casper David 
Friedrich. I don't know if I'm saying it right like at I, all. I say it, but Friedrich like, sounds more French. And yes. Friedrich. Yes. German, you gotta get that. Ugh. Yeah. I feel like I say it right in my head, and then I I tried, and it didn't. Uh, it's fine. I don't it's even fine. know. Anyway, back to Lutherburg. Um, yeah, so um, the scaling is one thing that is very different in this painting. Um, and I definitely get elements of the sublime. I mean, mm-hmm. these people are obviously not more powerful than the nature that they're surrounded by and they know it yeah um yeah it's kind of yeah it's interesting i think like for me i get more of like the feeling that i associate with the sublime when mm-hmm. i look at the more contemplative paintings mm-hmm. um but definitely yeah there's terror in this one a little bit mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't, maybe it's just personal experience that this is not, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't almost get hit by a giant rock in the woods and then say, oh, what a sublime experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be a humbling experience. Yes. You'd be like, I could have died just then. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, so maybe my brain just doesn't automatically connect it, but I definitely do see some of those elements working here. Um, there's yeah. another one that, um, I think definitely brings out this element of terror, um, and it's called Snowstorm Hannibal and His Army Crossing the Alps by Joseph Turner, and it's from 1812. Yes, and Joseph, Joseph Turner, he's like a big... He's a big name in the sublime world. Like his paintings are very much associated with the sublime. Yes. And he yes. was a early 1800s kind of dude. Yep. Yep. Okay. This one's from 1812. Um, he's also known for a lot of seascapes that evoke the sublime, and they are very um, turbulent and unsettling. Oh, I, um, love I think Keaton also brought up Joseph Turner. I think he's a fan. Um, so shout out to Keaton. Shout out Keaton. Um, I love about this whole idea of the sublime how many of them use like storms. Yes. Um, in their paintings, I think maybe it's because I really love storms. Mm-hmm. Um, give me a good rainstorm. Ugh, just yes. love that in my life. Oh the snowstorm we had last week, less so. Don't uh, know why. Yeah. It's less romantic, more terrifying. But um. I love these storm paintings. Yes. So much. And this one is so interesting to me. Um, It's hard to tell what's even going on. (laughs) Yeah, it's so wild. Um, I mean, there's some some rocks and some flat ground at the bottom. And there's a lot of people down there that look like they're trying to get away or just take cover and sort of weather the storm and then the bottom right it looks like there's some people that are I don't it almost looks like one of them is carrying a torch or something hmm. or an army and they're trying to to move um all the figures ooh. are very obscured I mean there's a few that you can kind of see but then there's just like sort of you can sort of see shadows of people hiding in behind rocks and stuff right um 
yeah, it, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, and then the storm itself is what takes up most of the painting. Yes, yes. Um, and again, it's really hard to tell what's going on. There's a lot of turbulent wind and snow. Um, and I think there's a little sun. Yeah, it's like top, you can see the barely. sun, but it's like orange and kind of like an orangey gray. It's been obscured by the cloud. It mm-hmm. is almost makes it more ominous that you can see the sun, but you still see this like extremely black cloud. Right. And also it has that thing that I love so much where like when there's so much, when a cloud is so close to you and there's so much like moisture coming down that you can kind of see like a curtain coming down yes. from the cloud. Um, yeah. 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 Um, so this, this painting is, yeah, super interesting. Um, and I think this is a really great example of that 18th, 19th century version of the sublime where it portrays the magnificence of nature and the human response to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You see people really cowering and... Yeah. I mean, it, it looks like there's absolutely nothing that they can do like the only Mm. thing that they can do is either try to move forward or just wait and hope that they survive so yeah anyway super interesting Mm. um let's see what else is there another painting you want to move on to yeah let's move on to i was interested to see that um peter brugel the elder was on this list. The oh, only yeah. painting of his that I'm really familiar with, I think I've also brought up on the on the show, is um, Hunters in the Snow. Mm-hmm. That one's not so much the sublime one, but so I'm interested to look at this one that you've put on here, Lucy. It's um, Landscape with a Flight into Egypt. Yes. Um, so this one is interesting, and I, I was also surprised to see some of the artists that we found on lists of the sublime yeah um and this was one of them but i can definitely see it i mean i think he does an excellent job of showing just how far this landscape stretches and then the scale of the rocks in the foreground versus the background and just showing the depth um and how small the people are yeah it's, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah, wow. What a beautiful, beautiful landscape. It's, and it's, I think, so he's painting Mary and Joseph fleeing into Egypt, and you just get the sense of, like, oh, they have so far to go. And yes. Joseph's on foot, and Mary's on a donkey. Yes. Um, and it's like, wow, they have, yeah. You just yeah. get a sense of, like, the journey that they're about to have yeah. is going to be intense. Yeah, absolutely. It's so expansive um, and beautiful. Yeah. I don't know, like, if that's supposed to be a lake or a, if, if this is supposed to be a coastline, but you just see some water and then just these outcroppings of rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah, I really like um, the idea of the journey Mm -hmm. being part of the sublime I guess 
I've never really connected those two ideas because in my mind the sublime is such a momentary thing mm. um like you're just placed somewhere where you can't help but be overwhelmed by the vastness of it or the importance of it um mm. but yeah i mean i think that would be the whole journey for them just how far they have to go um the beauty of this place they're traveling through mm. and um just the whole the whole experience yeah um, yeah that's that's super interesting yeah um, and again we have part of the religious narrative which I don't know I guess I I've never realized that the sublime and religious paintings could be so intertwined but mm. I mean it makes sense when we think about our human experience, what could be more vast than what God creates and what God puts in our lives? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. But yeah. There's definitely a very spiritual aspect to, to this concept that we're talking about. For sure. Right. Um, and, and so much of this concept of the sublime, like, this is not an objective thing. This mm -hmm. is an experience or... A state of mind that you have maybe at certain times or how you view certain things and um, yeah I yeah. think that can be very spiritual yeah yeah definitely sorry I'm a little distracted because I'm just looking at Google images of the flight into Egypt and you can buy it as a beach towel <laughs> what the heck that's so weird. Yeah. That's a really random one to put on a beach shell. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't... What does that have to do with the beach? <laughs> I mean, maybe uh, you could have some cool <laughs> conversations about the sublime while you're just hanging out at the beach the this beach. summer. Yeah. So now you guys know that that is an option. <laughs> um, I'll certainly be taking up that offer. Not really. Not really. I think you need it. <laughs> um, I okay. So talking about artists that we weren't expecting to be on this list, Edward Edvard, Edvard Munch. Yes, which you are probably, if you're listening to this, most definitely familiar with one of his works, which is the Scream. Yep. Um, that's kind of what he's famous for. Not gonna lie, probably the only painting of his that I know. Yeah. Um, that's the one of like it's got like the swirly whirly like uh, orange and yellow background and then there's a bridge and then there's a guy who looks like a ghost like yes. screaming yes yeah I think I've maybe seen a couple of his other paintings but I wouldn't be able to name them um, so here's a new one that I might be able to name now um, it's from 1901 and this one is very different in style from all of the other ones that we've looked at. Um, it's definitely more abstract. Um, I, I absolutely see sort of the expansiveness and the immensity of this nature that he's portraying. But I think personally for me, since it's less realistic, I have a more difficult time 
experiencing the sublime through mm, it. Interesting. Yeah, it's harder to put yourself in that position. Yeah. Because, yeah, this is a... So, most of the art we've been looking at, except for maybe Peter Brugel the Elder. Mm-hmm. When was this painted? Do we know? The flight into Egypt? Um, hold on. 15? Okay, yeah. Something. So, that one's quite a bit earlier, but the other... 1563. Okay, okay. The other ones we've been looking at are from the Romantic period, so... Yes. The... I guess 1800s ish around yeah. there. That's a lot of time. Yeah. A lot of margin for error. So this is 1901. So we're moving into, yeah, like you were saying, the more impressionist mm-hmm. period. And so it's kind of interesting. Like the sublime, trying to capture the sublime in art was definitely at its height during the romantic mm-hmm. period. And that's the kind of art that we really associate with this idea of the sublime. Right. But, um, Looking at this one, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's harder. Actually, to be honest, I really like this. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, though, if it's because I, like, when I first saw it, so just to describe it a little bit, it's, it feels like you're standing up on a hill and you're looking down at a snowy, like, snowy woods and um, there's just these kind of, like, you can tell it's maybe, like, dusk mm-hmm. um these trees um like um some kind of evergreen trees um casting shadows in the snow and then is that a little house i think so. okay there's a little house like nestled and then beyond that it's just white expanse um for like miles and miles and miles it's yeah you yeah, just see it white looks like maybe a uh, frozen lake mm-hmm. with snow on it there's even a little trail on it yeah it's so cute i love yeah. that detail i think so this like as soon as i saw it i thought of um my grandparents have a cabin that's really far away from the road and like anything else you have to ski to it mm-hmm. and there's like a hill that you can climb right next to it and kind of look out and there's just these like big expansive meadows which when they're covered with snow they just look like these big expanses of white for mm-hmm. like miles and miles and it is a little bit of a feeling of like it's a humbling feeling of being so far away from anyone and like it's a little bit scary mm-hmm. of feeling but also kind of an exciting feeling i guess so yeah i thought of that right away and maybe that's a little bit why I really like this as it reminded me of like standing on 1070s, the name of the hill. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I still think he really captures a feeling, even though his yes. landscape is a little more impressionistic. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the sky in this painting. Mm. Um, I also love that between um, the vast white expanse and the sky, there's this little area that is sort of like reddish purple a little bit. Mm. And I feel like, I don't know, it's like a, that feels like almost civilization and it just feels so far away. Oh, like if you needed help or something, you'd have to go all the way over there. Mm. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's more woods, but that's also a mystery that you feel so far away from everything. And mm. maybe that's the closest people that you could get to. Um but yeah, I think this is still an excellent example of the sublime 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think there's some other paintings that maybe I have connected to a little bit more, but there there is something about this painting that is just really beautiful and peaceful. You get the feeling. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. Um, there is another painting that I wanted to bring up. Um, it's called, oh no, I'm not going to be able to say this right because it's, um, Finch, I think. Uh -oh. Um, it's Lake Kitelli, Kitelli, K-E-I-T-E-L-E, -E -E. and it's by Axley Gallen Kalela. From 1904. Galen Kalila is Galen kind Kalila. of an awesome last name. Yes. And um, I actually really love this artist. Um, so my, I think, junior year of college, I took a history class about modern Scandinavia, oh. which was super fascinating. Um, I'm, I also have Scandinavian roots. So found lots of cool personal connections mm. um but anyway I first encountered Axley Gallen Kalela in that class because he is most famous for his paintings based on the Kalevala which is the great Finnish ep epic poem um oh. and which is super interesting it's a super interesting legend um and I got to read some parts of that and do a project on it. Anyway, I won't go super into depth about the Kalevala, but look it up if you're interested. All the words that, also, we've been, that you've been saying, I just love them. The Kalevala. I Ugh. know. It's also just fun. <laughs> Trying to say Axley Gallen Kalela, it's super fun. Um, but anyway, I really liked his paintings based on the Kalevala. And so I was just really excited when his name popped up on a list. Also, I think Scandinavian art, at least in the world of Western art, is severely underrepresented. Mm, interesting, yeah. So I was really excited to see a Scandinavian painter on this list. Um, but anyway, this painting of his, which I'm not going to try to butcher again, but hopefully you heard me spell it. Um, I think this is so cool. I don't think it quite captures the sublime as well as some of the other ones, um, but it's definitely there. So it's this expansive frozen lake and in the middle of it is one single island and then in the very background is the sky and some mountains that you can sort of just barely see like they're on the horizon. And then on the lake there are these, um, like, I don't know, opaque streaks across okay. it, like someone was... Do you think it's frozen? Because to, to me it looks, like, thawed, and those look like, um, the oh. patterns that, like, the wind creates on a lake. That is also possible. Okay. I, I, maybe just because it's Scandinavia, <laughs> and I, used, yeah, I assumed like... it was frozen, but that's also possible. Okay. I... Definitely thought it was frozen, though, and that they were, like, trails from, like, I don't know, skating or dragging a sled across uh, it or something. I really think it's not frozen. There's no snow on anything. I think that's why, also. Mm, for 
that's true. Listening that's at home, true. I think something it's like impressionistic enough that it's unclear. Like true. it's not the most. It's kind of somewhere in the. Hmm. Yeah. This was painted in 1904. Yes. I don't know. Oh. Oh. Okay. This. Um, description of it does say that it is a famous Finnish lake as a mesmerizing mirror of light torn through by zigzagging currents of wind. I still think it looks frozen, but it's fine. <laughs> um, either way. Either way. Um, I, do, I do like this painting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like someone is just like sitting on the shore or near the edge of it and um, not doing anything, just taking a moment and looking off into the distance mm. and taking it in. Um, and so I think he does capture the sublime. Yeah. Well. I like that he, it seems like oftentimes when somebody paints a scene like this where it's um, like a painting of the water and then mm-hmm. a landscape, the horizon kind of divides the painting in half. But in this one, it's like the vast majority of the painting is taken up by the water mm-hmm. and then you just kind of see the reflection of the sky and a little bit of a little strip of the sky and yeah kind of like that because i think it does kind of make it feel a little bit more like you are looking out at the lake oh more than like a picture of it so yeah it's really beautiful and it is kind of an in- I, i'm glad you included this because i think it's just We've, we've, in this conversation, kind of gone from um, Casper David Frederick, which was very, like, grandiose and um, very spiritual, mm-hmm. to um, something that's a little more terrifying mm-hmm. um, with the avalanche and then the storm in the Alps. And then um, these ones, which are a little bit more impressionistic, and but still very, like, contemplative. Um, it just shows the wide variety of things and i honestly think it's a little bit the sublime is not so much about what the painting is of as it is just our reaction to the painting Mm -hmm. um and so i think that there's just many many different things that could create this this feeling yeah um so yeah yeah i really like this Mm -hmm. um it's beautiful But on that note, because we were kind of talking about the progression of the sublime through Mm -hmm. art history. Right. Very romantic idea, and it kind of had its heyday in the romantic period. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we see it a little bit more in the impressionistic period. And I was asking you before we started recording whether or not you thought Kandinsky was a sublimist, if you will. Uh, Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to pull up a few of his paintings and see if I feel overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, well, I'll start by making my case then. I, so Kandinsky, he's a Russian painter. He's painting early 1900s, late 1800s. He was extremely um, concerned about, um, the spiritual nature of art. Mm. Um, and in addition to that, which something we haven't touched on yet is the sublime in music. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and there's lots of also, like there's a musical element to the sublime too. Um, and a lot of music I think creates a sublime. Uh, the huh. thing I was thinking of, if somebody wants to listen to something and be like, oh yeah, sublime, is um, Rhapsody, what's it called? Rhapsody on a theme of Pagini? Paganini? It's by uh, Rachmaninoff. Okay. If you want to just like. I'm also going to look that up. Yeah, lay down, look at the sky. Oh, so good. Anyways, um, Kandinsky always painted to music, um, to classical music Ooh, like that. Okay. Um, and so. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Some of his art, I definitely am like, oh, I don't get the sublime vibes from that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the there's this one where he's just got sort of these um, cir- concentric circles in, like, squares. Mm-hmm. And they're just of different colors. Um, I think that one's pretty well known. Yep. I'm not talking about that one so much. I think what I'm thinking of is more like uh, Composition 8. Okay. Which, by the way, I think is the name of the song that he was listening to. Um, when he created it. Um, okay. I, I think I kind of see what you, you mean with this one. Yeah. Um, I would say another one that I'm thinking of is, um, yellow, red, blue, mm. which was painted in 1925. These are so much more abstract than anything else we've talked about. Yeah. So it's a total departure. Yeah. Um, they're really just it's really color shapes lines and little bits of pattern mm-hmm. it's very hard to describe without just looking at it to be honest I, yeah yeah but looking at composition eight i can kind of see i can imagine myself standing looking out at mountains and hills and maybe um a big sun like behind the mountain and all of the elements mm-hmm. sort of playing together and then looking at this and like kind of having a similar feeling of the sublime mm. yeah but I'm definitely not well versed enough in Kandinsky or any sort of modernism to be a be able to explain yeah, exactly why that is what's but, going on but that uh, yeah i think and i don't i'm not an expert in kandinsky either i think though that for him painting was a very worshipful experience mm-hmm. and that's the feeling i get when i look at his paintings there's a lot of abundance there's mm. a sense of there's so much going on and yet like the sense of completeness and harmony mm-hmm. that I get when I look at his paintings and like an expansiveness to me all those words describe like a worshipful experience mm-hmm. um, I don't know yeah yeah um, another person to mention that is not a romantic sublime painter um we talked about briefly earlier and i think this is someone that neither of us are very familiar with i only stumbled across him because of this research Mm. um but barnett newman 
Yes, is so often cited as a sublime painter. Um, and especially his painting, I'm going to butcher this, um, Vir Heroicus Sublimus, which translates from Latin into man, heroic, and sublime. Hmm. Um, and it's a rectangular red painting with some different shades of red. It's not just one solid color. And then there's two lines, um, one on either side of the painting. One is sort of a grayish white, and the other is sort of a grayish black. And it's cited as being sublime because um, of its overwhelming scale and saturated color. So I think it's interesting that modernism has sort of um, created this um, like boiled down geometric oversaturated version of the sublime. Mm. But it's, it's interesting because looking at this color of red, there is sort of this um, reaction that I have to it of... Um, I don't know, just like the depth of this color and um, the sense of just experiencing color itself. I don't know, that I guess could be kind of sublime. I don't know if I'm fully at the point where <laughs> I understand why this is a sublime painting, but um, it is definitely interesting and it makes me think a lot. Yeah, I think... Um... This is, yeah, definitely something that maybe we need to explore more because he, yeah, he wrote a lot about Sublime. Like, he, com he, people haven't described him that way. Like, he described himself that way, that he was trying to paint the Sublime, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting. The only thing I can think of when I look at this is that there's something about it that's kind of expansive. Like, yes. the tone is, like you were saying, like, very all-encompassing and, mm -hmm. um, expansiveness is an element of sublime something that just feels right. larger than the canvas that it's on mm -hmm. I don't know this might be one of the ones that we need to go see in person to really understand Lucy true true oh wow I'm looking at um, a photo of it next to a man also and it is very large so yeah, yeah. I would love to see this in real life um, it'd be really interesting just sort of experiencing the vastness of this painting hmm. um, and seeing what thoughts on the sublime it conjures. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Well, it's almost hiking season, and I'm very happy about that because now I can have more sublime moments. Linnea. Yes, definitely, definitely. Why do you think, I guess as like a final question, why do you think... Uh, that um, the sublime is an important concept for us today. We're outside, we're way beyond the romantic mm -hmm. period. Why sublime? Um, I think it sort of goes back to what I said in the beginning, mm. that this is something tied to humanity that is not necessarily about humans themselves. And I think this experience of 
feeling humbled and understanding your place on this earth and um, how you're connected to it and um, connected to other people um, and just sort of that, that understanding of I'm not very small but I and and so I have this very limited amount of time to say my few words in my life mm. and contribute a verse as Whitman would say mm. um, I think that's important to take note of and to remember that my life is not everything to this place that I live and so what can I do to um, leave a positive impact on this beautiful place and on these people that I'm sharing this experience with. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I think that's a great place to end it. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, yeah, really good. Well, um, hope everyone has a wonderful week. Yeah. Don't forget our Instagram. We forget, yes. we forget to plug it every week. What is yes. it called? Um, it's called First Impressionists Podcast. So look us up on Instagram. We'll get it updated. Um, check out all of the paintings and the art that we talk about there so you don't have to try to spell it. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye. See you next week. Thank you.